Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. And on this episode, we are going to talk about a particular relationship and its psychological implications. This is going to be a little bit different uh, from the shows that you've heard before. We're going to go for about an hour, and I'm going to be joined by a guest named Tim who has had a consulting and coaching session with me before. For those of you who don't know, I offer coaching and consulting to people who want to figure out how to get out of abusive dynamics they may be enmeshed in, problem relationships that are bringing them down, whether this is about family dynamics, work dynamics, church dynamics, friendship groups. The commonality is usually cluster B in some form. Usually there's somebody in that person's orbit who is a narcissist, a borderline, a histrionic, a psychopath, or some mixture of those traits. Um, And here's the part where I'm going to give a disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional. I do not claim to be a mental health professional. I am not licensed, and I do not need to be licensed to talk to other people. But I want to be very clear This is not therapy. It talks about things that therapy talks about, absolutely. I think it can be helpful, but this is not a therapeutic relationship. Uh, Obviously, I'm not a therapist, and the therapeutic relationship, the talk therapy relationship, is something that, when done correctly, happens over time and is a consistent relationship between two people. So what I offer, and I've had clients who who, uh, who have returned several times, And over time, as I get to know them better and they get to know me better and and I understand their situation, you know, some kind of, of, of relationship does develop over time. But, you know, a lot of what I do is helping people with specific and acute problems in a in a one off kind of manner. Um, but that's what you're going to get here. And. We are going to do this episode as a consulting and a coaching session with Tim. Um, so this is what the kind of thing you can expect if you're interested in talking to me, if this is uh, if this sounds like it might be helpful to you. This is the kind of conversation that I have with clients. Uh, and let me stop about that and bring Tim in. Tim, how are you doing today? Good, Josh. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for doing this. I, I told you when I asked you about this that I thought your situation was a, a very good example, a very illustrative example of a cluster B relationship between a parent and a child, and that's something that a lot of people are going to recognize because you are coming to some decision points where you have to say, both for yourself and for your family, do I want to remain in contact in this case with my mother? Can you give us, uh, give us, give the audience and the listeners kind of a synopsis of uh, what your thoughts are about your family and the psychological dynamics? Why, for example, would you and I have been talking to each other in the first place? What's been your story with your family and your parents? I, I'm a little older than Josh, so I'm going to say some things like traditional 80s, and okay. they might go right past you because you're, you know, what, five years younger than me? So, um, yeah, but at this part, if at this stage, aren't we all the same age once we get to middle age? <laughs> I think once you get to like 35, everything after that is like, oh, hey, how you doing? I think yeah. we graduated the same year, didn't we? Yeah, so, exactly. But um, no, I grew up in a you know pretty traditional 70s, 80s household. Mom, dad, back before 
you know, divorce was a, a it was becoming a thing, but it it wasn't the thing that it is now. And, you know, people stuck it out, um, grew up, you know, in a church going family, uh, had younger sibling, had a dad who was an alcoholic for quite some time. And I did not understand all of the ins and outs and intricacies and all of the extrapolation that would happen in, in the case of family dynamics and how it's very rarely ever one-sided in a lot of these situations. And so I saw a lot of things that it took me years to process about personalities, personality conflict, personality interactions. And really for me, where I started to realize that I hadn't, and you know, Josh, I think I told you this via private message when you were still on Twitter, um, that, listening to the first few episodes of disaffected like i i can point to the spots in my yard where i had to stop and just like literally weep uh because i was listening to a story that was so similar to mine of the pressure and the burden of performance and the burden of wondering you know what is it going to be today is it you know what what am I not going to do right? What am I going to fail to remember to do? And I was at a very young age. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, give um, That sounds like a, a spot for a good example. Um, I, I, I'm picking up on what you're throwing down. Let's make it really explicit for people. I'm hearing from you. Uh, what am I going to fail at? What am I going to not remember? Uh, lurking behind that, of course, is a fear of censure or punishment. And I'm guessing from your mother. Am I right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Give us a, if Dad, you've got Dad to go. was involved. Dad yep. was definitely involved, but it was... It was uh, very often, and I think we've all, you know, heard the jokes or even saw it on the old TV shows. Oh, you wait till your dad gets home. Um, I could have dealt with that, <laughs> but it was not knowing, you know, let, let me scratch that actually. It was, it was knowing that there were expectations, but never knowing if I had done enough to meet them. Give us an example. Cleanliness of a bedroom. Um, even at a young age and to the point of an expectation that, you know, five, six, seven years old, sure, you need to keep your room neat and there's a, there's a place to learn that. But if it wasn't, it, it kept up to a particular standard and, you know, it's been a long time. I don't know if I can remember the exact standards, but, uh, it was just knowing that if I didn't meet those standards, it it could result in a in a verbal dressing down, um, punishment by you know being you know told you go sit in your room until you remember what I told you to do, mm -hmm. uh, or you know as it things progressed as I got older, if it didn't meet the standards, then everything would be taken off of the floor or off the shelves and and piled on the bed, and had to be dealt with before I went to bed that night. Ah, the classic. Yes. Um, it, it, it reminds me of that scene in Mommy Dearest when uh, Joan Crawford comes into the bathroom, makes a mess in an otherwise tidy room and then screams at her daughter, clean up this mess. 
So, <laughs> so you got everything picked up and piled into a great big mess on your bed so that you couldn't go to sleep until it was put back, right? Oh, yeah. Or go on with your day. Ah, okay. Yeah, so it didn't, you know, it didn't matter what time. So, like, if I came home, if I would come home and I had things I wanted to do, let's say it was a summer day or, you know, after school or what you know, weekend or whatever, and there were things I wanted to do, like, here's this, I told you to do this and you didn't do it, so now, now you're going to deal with it this way. And um, if that had been a once or twice thing, but it was very common. Yeah. Very common. Yeah, and the, the thing I want to say to listeners here is, uh, especially for those of you who are uninitiated, don't have any direct experience of what a household like this is, it may sound to you like, well, gee, all parents have standards of neatness and all kids have chores. This sounds like, you know, a couple of guys complaining that their moms didn't like their bedroom cleaned. I understand how you could hear it that way, but this is not what we're talking about. Not at all. This is um, a regimented but ambitious ambiguous set of standards. I think I'm hearing you say that, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, you were never quite sure if you'd measured up to the standard. That was the thing. These things were left ambiguous. You know, your parent, in in our cases, our mothers, uh, you know, would say, well, you know how I want this to be clean and you can never do it, et cetera, et cetera. But funnily enough, kids like us often found that no matter how careful we were, no matter how diligent we were, it was not good enough. We literally could not figure out the specific thing we were supposed to do to stop the yelling later. Does that sound anything like what you went through? Yeah, I think you spend so much time trying to head off the coming disaster mm -hmm. that you almost forget what you were even assigning yourself to do. And sometimes it was it just would become, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. And... That would lead to lying. Did you do this? Well, better to lie and take the chance of getting caught in a lie mm -hmm. than to flat out say, no, I didn't get to it, or I forgot. Yeah, because that would be worse. Oh, yeah, almost worse. Like, with the lie, it, and I want people to understand, too, I don't, I don't advocate for... You know, I don't think kids should be lying to their parents. I don't think we should be lying to each other at all, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But when you get to a point where you feel like you're safe for taking a chance lying about something. Yeah. It, it, it becomes a way of life. And it's easy to attack the person who's telling the lie in that situation and say, well, you're a liar. Well, sure. Walk a mile in my shoes. Yeah. No, I I understand that. Tell, tell me about the coming disaster. You used a couple of phrases, addressing down and coming disaster. And, and I know what they mean. But what does it sound like? Tell, describe well, the disaster. You, describe the dressing down. I think I think for, for me, a lot of people imagine... I was just talking to somebody about this earlier uh, before we decided or before we recorded. Everybody, you know, we joke, right? We joke. Oh, well, everybody has a dysfunctional family. That's normal. Well, if it's normal, then it's not dysfunctional. And if it's dysfunctional, it's not normal. Yes. And 
dysfunctional family has kind of become a joke reference, just like people claiming they have OCD or they have PTSD. You know, ah, I guess I got PTSD from that or I'm OCD. I can't, you know, leave the house without making sure my coffee pot's unplugged or whatever. That's not, you know, that that's neither is that OCD or, and neither is it PTSD if you, you're upset because you witness an accident from four miles away. Uh, and it's the same thing with living in a truly dysfunctional home. Not every day is hell. Sometimes it is. Right. The, the coming disaster is not the fact that, you know, when you walk in the house, the first thing that's going to happen is, you know, some drunk, you know, woman in a in a bathrobe is going to come out and, you know, beat you with a higher iron. That's not what I'm talking about. It's literally not knowing from day to day what's going to be the tone and the tenor of the house. The emotional tone. In, yes, the emotional tone and, and and tenor of the home that you're walking into. And you pick up on that at a very young age and you begin to adapt to that. So and tell so everything. T- yep. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. I, what I'm and I'm sorry, I'm pushing you a little bit, but no, um, I, but I want you to I, I want, you to, I, I want detail here. <laughs> tell, tell us tell us about the emotional tone. Give us an example of the disaster or the emotional tone, the words, the actions, what was that like? What happened? I mean, for example, like here, I'll, I'll give one of mine that may help yep. you. That may help you jog one of yours. Yep. And this listeners is one of the differences between actual uh, professional licensed therapy and, and the coaching and consulting that I do. Uh, I will actually share personal details with clients, with people I'm talking with um, in a way that would be a boundary violation if this were a, a, a real therapeutic relationship. But I think it has an advantage uh, because what what two people talking to each other can do. Uh, when they're not professionals, is to share these things and share points of commonality uh, so that their experiences make more sense to them. So, for example, um, I had a very similar, uh, my mother had a similar temperament. And if I didn't do something correctly or if I'd forgotten to do something, maybe it was the dishes, maybe it was something else, you could walk into the house and know that something was wrong. You could know it by the way she walked. You could know it by the way she arranged her face. You could know it by the sound of her putting a book or a glass down on the counter. You pick up on very subtle signals. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the signals, are, well, they're, they're subtle, but, but in a sense, they're not either. They are definitely communicating, you are in big trouble. I am working up to an emotional outburst or I'm going to give you the silent treatment. And sometimes my mother would... Uh, you know, would break. There would be 10 or 15 minutes of this when I'd come home from school and I'd be walking around on eggshells like, oh my God, when is she going to pop off? What is she angry about? Is it, was it my room? Did I forget the trash? And then slam, fist down on there, you know, on the table. Well, you're just not going to take responsibility for it, are you? How many goddamn times do I have to tell you that when you take the trash out, you have to take the recycling out to Jesus Christ, Josh, you're not stupid. You're not stupid. So why are you doing this? That is an example of one of the ways my mother might have popped off. 
you probably have different examples. So here, so imagine if you, you will being in kindergarten or first grade and taking a cold lunch to school with you pretty much every day because you knew you weren't going to like the offering of the cafeteria. Yep. And, and this is the seventies, you know, yep. for anybody who was wondering how old I really am. Um, and having, you know, mom lovingly make you a lunch, take to school with you every day, but then not eating all of your lunch and coming home the first time and walking in, setting the lunchbox down on the counter and having it opened and having mom realize that you didn't eat it all and then getting chewed out for not eating your whole meal. And having that happen several times. So, so what 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 would be the accusation? You're wasting food, or You're wasting food. I took time to make this for you. Um, why wouldn't you eat it? You told me you didn't want to eat at school, so I made this for you. So why aren't you eating? And and it wasn't it wasn't one of those uh, particular situations where it's like, are you okay? Are you feeling all right? Are you, you know? It was. I did this for you. You should be eating. Ah, yes, that's ex- I'm I'm so glad you said that. Uh, yeah, it's not actually concern for the child. It's not. Did you have a stomach ache or were you upset about something? It's I did this for you and you're ungrateful. It's all about this is the narcissistic outlook of the cluster B mind. I don't care if it's borderline um, named and diagnosed narcissistic personality disorder. They all are self-centered this way. Um good example we're going to take a quick break and when we come back tim i'd like to um, like you to bring me up to today and uh talk to the audience a little bit about what we talked about in our last session your family set up today and the decisions you're going to make so stay with us folks we'll be back on the other side Kevin and Josh work themselves to the bone to bring you dark and disturbing content every week. There are starving listeners overseas who get no podcasts at all. Show appropriate gratitude today by making a donation at patreon.com forward slash disaffected or at subscribestar.com forward slash disaffected. Do it for mother. We now have a bonus for our supporters. You can help the Disaffected Podcast grow and receive invitations for our off-air Zoom hangouts by becoming a supporting member on Patreon or Subscribestar. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. The disaffected phone lines are now open. Call us at 202-979-2480 and tell us your dark and disordered stories from the new normal. Again, call us at 202-979-2480. All calls are recorded for possible use on the show. Tim, you and I had a session with each other, I don't know, a week, week and a half ago, and you told me about 
your family situation because the decision that you're thinking about in terms of your relationship to your mother also has effects on your wife and on your children. You t- share with us a little bit about how who who your family is. What are the what the issues are and 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 how you're thinking about your family members as well as your own relationship with your mother as you contemplate remaining in contact. Well, you know, having, you know, listened to your walk through your experience and how how much you struggled with getting to that point of where where do I draw the line? I've, you know, I've been there for a while. I've had some periods in the past where distance was intentionally created by me because I just, I couldn't stomach the, the tension and the arguing and the fighting. And Josh, I think you've probably been there. It's yes. It literally, you feel this not just on a, a confrontational level in the moment, but it, you carry it with you after a confrontation Yeah, and it sits in your gut. It like, it's a, it's an actual pain. It's physical it, pain. Yeah. It, and it actually does lead to physical problems. Yeah, it does. It leads and like, I've had severe debilitating physical pain from some of the conflicts and I'm, you know, I'm not some, no offense. I'm not some light, lightweight, uh, soy boy wearing a man bun. <laughs> no, no offense to anybody in the audience who wears a man bun. Uh, Stop wearing a man bun audience members. <laughs> that will be the world's smallest man bun. I've seen your hair. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I come from a place where I have been in, in careers where conflict is a normal part of your day. Mm-hmm. It's an, a, norm, a normative life style for what you're doing. And it's different in these situations. And you're never, even as an adult, you're never beyond how much physical discomfort and pain it causes. And... So I've created those distances in the past to the point of even missing family get-togethers for holidays, mm-hmm. not not to you know punish other people, but to keep other people from having to make the decision about who they're going to spend their time with. Yeah. And then gone back to kind of bridge the gap excuse me, bridge the gap or repair what damage, you know, is, is on the surface without ever actually getting into the depth of it. And over the last year, uh, have been trying to maintain a relationship on a cordial level, but also at the same time getting a lot of personal prying into life, asking of questions that you know, if if she wanted to know the answers to them about other people in in our family, she could ask them. But it's it's prying into the financial aspects of life. Mm-hmm. It's prying into you know the parent my parenting style in in years mm-hmm. past, mm-hmm. blaming me for places where uh, family you know the. You know, offspring have not, you know, necessarily gone down the path that maybe I would have even picked. I mean, come on, if you have kids, you got kids, nieces, nephews, whatever, everybody's dealing with somebody in their family that's not walking uh, 
the direction you want him to walk all the time. Yeah. And tell tell us tell us uh, and remember um I should have said this at the outset everybody who's listening Tim is not his real name nobody's real name is being used here everyone has been given pseudonyms for their privacy um so t- tell us tell us Tim who, who's in your family who's your immediate family right now and how how does this affect them Well I have uh, an adult daughter who's married and I have an adult son who is not um and then I have a wife mm-hmm and um this you know just on the surface the stress between my mother and i affects and impacts my relationships with others because a lot of times and there again you've been there and i know other people have been there your stress with your loved one and for those of you maybe it's not your parent maybe it's not a mom maybe it's not a dad maybe it's somebody else in the family um your your interactions with them that stress that conflict causes conflict for them and it's hard and so it's been difficult uh, because in, in particular in a situation of asking me questions about my adult son that sh- mm-hmm. that i don't have a right to answer and then getting blamed well if you had done x y or z or if he had had x y or z then maybe this situation wouldn't have arisen but you made these decisions when they were younger, so now you have to own it. Right. And when we talked last time, you you told me uh, about the ways in which your mother would uh, – and, and there's no other way I can say this except um, – I mean, to me, it looked like baiting and provocation on her part, where she would make comments on the mental state or or the personality state of your grown son, um, who has some mental difficulties – um, and as as a means of first, to, you know, implying to you that you were a bad father and that he wouldn't have turned out this way had you not done X, Y or Z. Um, but it moved right from what for what you described to me, it moved from implication to outright accusation. And I remember talking to you and and your wife and I'm going to call her Mary. Your wife joined us for a little bit of that session. Um, and I remember telling the both of you that this this sort of behavior, this that those questions that your mother was asking and those implications she was making, there's no family privilege that allows her to do that. I mean, these are the sorts of things that if if even a, if a friend said them to you, you'd stand up and say, you forget yourself. You know, <laughs> who do you think you are? I mean, they really were quite over the line. And it seemed I don't think I could say it the same way you do. You have a much better way of it sounds so much more serious when you say it. Well, um, it, well, according to my critics, that's because I'm a liar and a histrionic and I just over dramatize everything. So, you know, yes. everybody turn your radios off now. <laughs> um, well, you know, I but when you're when your wife Mary joined us, this is this is a good example of it. Um, it. it you know, we we children of parents like this get so used to the abnormal ways that our parents function that we I believe we under dramatize when when we are reflecting on these things, both it's, to ourselves and to others. It's really hard even now sitting here with you talking about this, Josh, even though we've had one conversation in the past. It's very hard, not because I'm afraid of giving up anybody's identity. Yeah. But. But because it's hard for me to detach myself from it and look at it in a way that 
I I don't want to say this. Um, almost even sitting here talking, blaming myself. Okay. For the failure in the relationship, not with my son or, you know, where there are failures or with my daughter where there are failures, but blaming myself for the failures in the relationship with my mother because I I have to be to blame. There's no way that this is not my fault if all of the things that she's saying are true. Mm-hmm. And so I'm even racking my brain going back to the conversation from a week and a half ago that prompted me to call you and say, look, I'm at wit's end. I don't know what else yep. to do. Um, not that you have to be at wit's end to talk to Josh. But, but it helps. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it helps to be completely off your nut. You know? <laughs> um, but it... And Josh, you know this because I know you've beat yourself up for this. I've heard you talk about it. What have I done wrong? Where am I to blame in all of this? Yeah. Maybe I'm the one that's to blame. And that's, you know, in pre-show we were talking about this. It, that's literally one of the tools and the tool belt of the person who's doing this is to get you to start asking yourself these questions, not because it's good for deep introspection and self-reflection, but it takes your eyes off of addressing the wrong that they're doing and makes you feel like you screwed this up. So now you do have a lot of explaining to do. Absolutely. And, and yep. And so, you know, even, you know, asking me, well, how did have you, how have you contributed to X situation with your daughter? How have you contributed to X situation with your, with your son? Okay. Fair question. One, who are you to ask me that? Two, can I ask you those questions? Ah, now we get to it. And can you ask her those questions? No, you're not allowed. How come? Because we've already addressed this. Ah. Or we've already dealt with this. Or that's the past. And the past has to remain the past. Or And if it's not the past, then you're just bitter and unforgiving. Uh-huh. And... And that's always the it's always the answer. You're not allowed to ask. You're not allowed to point out anything that any normal, reasonable person would consider abusive. Even a, yep. and that's the other thing too. And and you know the statistics on this better than I do, but narcissists and borderlines share a lot of uh, comorbidities, right? Yes. But they're very rarely, especially in women, does it come down to like full on physical abuse. It happens yeah. and there are moments, but very rarely is it full on physical abuse. And it's not necessarily every day. Yep. It's it's that coming storm that I've referred to. It's with women, with women it's 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 overwhelmingly emotional abuse, lying, confected psychodramas, false self-victimization when you're actually victimizing somebody else. I mean, my mother, right. my mother hit us, you know, she did beat our asses with wooden spoons and things like that. And I've told those stories, but that wasn't that wasn't the main problem with my mother. My stepfather beat me very seriously. 
You know, my stepfather beat the hell out of my mother. He's clearly, the man is almost always the more physically dangerous in a situation like that. But the emotional, the emotional violence is, is, is quite extreme. I want to take this, I want to, you just, you said something that I want to underline for, uh, use to underline for people a concept. When Tim is talking about self-reflection and introspection, how have I contributed to this in for for adults, for people on equal footing, these are good and normal questions. They are questions we should be asking ourselves because we do contribute to every relationship we're in. The difference is the parent-child relationship. And when I say child, I am including grown adult children. This stuff goes all the way back to childhood. The parent-child relationship is not an equal relationship. It is a power over relationship by necessity. Children are defenseless. They need to be reared and they need to be taught. So we are in a different relationship with our father or our mother than we are with our friends that we might have a conflict with. There's something seriously morally deranged about a parent treating the child as if the child, as if Tim in this instance, had some, quote, responsibility during his childhood years, not to have made the relationship this way. So if you, if those of you listening are hearing, but wait a minute, you should be asking yourself this. Yes, I agree with you. But remember that this is not the dynamic in a parent-child relationship. Yes, if you're talking about a conflict you've had with mom because you disagreed over something when you were on a trip at Disneyland, sure, both of you might have been partially to blame for that conflict, but we are not talking about that here. Sorry. And- no, and, and I think that the reality is, is that as bad as physical abuse can be, because I did see that in my home yep. uh, and, and lived through some very, very abusive situations um, experientially. I'm not talking about abuse not being bad. Everybody knows it is. But physical abuse is actually too... To these relationships, physical abuse is the, the visible, you know, cancer test and equated to can- a cancer test in the medical world versus someone who's been diagnosed with clinical depression. Everybody can see the effects of cancer on a person. Everybody yeah. can, can see the chemotherapy. Everybody can see how dangerous and how bad it is, how deadly yeah. it can be. And it's very tangible for them to see that. That's physical abuse. Physical abuse is tangible. Everybody despises it. Yes. I mean, we have women's shelters. We have, you know, uh, uh, family shelters for people who we even now have men's shelters for men who have been abused. What we don't have is a tangible understanding of the damage that is done. And it's taken me a long time. And, you know, finding disaffected, finding you has helped me to see that. We don't have a way to to quantify how much damage is actually done through the emotional and mental aspects of abuse and just how completely debilitating that can be in relationships, especially with parents or siblings. When- well put. Very, very well put. It's 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 you know, the, I've described it this way before. I don't remember the physical sensation of being beaten. I don't remember the pain. 
I literally don't. I remember some of the incidents, but I don't remember the subjective sensation of the physical pain. But I remember all the emotional torment. I, I am not haunted today by having been beaten. I am haunted today by my mother's words, by, by her emotional tenor, by, by the emotions. And I, and I think this is, I think, yeah, yeah, I just think you're, you're absolutely right. People don't understand it. It is another way to think of it is the, the tip of the iceberg, right? You can see what's above the surface, but you have no idea that there's actually an entire mountain underneath the ocean that you can't see. And, and that I think is what makes even healing, if it's possible, you know, going, going to be almost impossible for a lot of people, in particular myself in this situation, because I don't even know where to begin to draw a line, excuse me, uh, draw a line between, okay, what's, what's the right reaction in this situation? What's justified in this situation? And where am I overreacting? Where am I yes. being over oversensitive? Because you do spend so much time being on edge that you don't know what's going to cause conflict that you almost do everything in your power to avoid it, which causes yes. even more internal conflict. Do you do you find this too, Tim, that that um, that because because you were your sort of emotion detecting meter was so screwed up by the volatility at home that do you find yourself sometimes um, out in the world with with normal people uh, catching yourself going, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're not going to react that way. I'm being a little paranoid because they're not my mother. I've caught myself doing that. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm constantly on edge for even slight changes in demeanor. Yeah. Hyper vigil. Aren't you hyper vigilant? Oh. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And some of that, you know, as I mentioned in the past, I've had, you know, high conflict, high stress jobs. So I'm sure there's some hypervigilance as part of that. But I think it's just a natural part of who I am. Uh, I yeah. I apologize for stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, you, oh, just, just absolutely yeah. just stupid, asinine things that no one was like, why are you apologizing? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Mm -hmm. oh, I didn't mean to upset you. I'm not upset. You know, <laughs> it's just still happens to constant, me. Yep. Yeah, it's a constant always apologizing um, and sometimes i get so tired of apologizing that i don't apologize for things i should be, I'm just over it, you <laughs> yes. just like, do you see all the problems this causes raise your children right <laughs> you see how screwed up i am um, okay i'll tell you tell you what we're gonna do um we're gonna take another break because i want to spend the last segment of this show going through some specifics you've shared a letter with me from your mother um, and I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm going to read a good portion of that letter and, and we're going to go over some of the specifics in here because both for you, Tim, and for the people listening, I want to illustrate the exact tactics that are going on here because they're going to be very familiar to people. And my hope is, uh, you know, you may or may not to come to any to kind of decision right now during this conversation. But my goal with you, overseas. as it has you been the last no time we had a session, all. is to bring Show you closer to a point where you make a, a decision. Am I going to tolerate this? Under what circumstances am I not? Et cetera. So we're going to get into some specifics that have brought you to this point on the other side. So stay with us. Do it for mother. We now have a bonus for our supporters. 
you can help the Disaffected Podcast grow and receive invitations for our off-air Zoom hangouts by becoming a supporting member on Patreon or Subscribestar. Patreon users, go to patreon.com slash disaffected. Subscribestar users, you can find us at subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Check out our webpage at disaffected.fm for the complete list of ways you can help support us. And thank you. The disaffected phone lines are now open. Call us at 202-979-2480 and tell us your dark and disordered stories from the new normal. Again, call us at 202-979-2480. All calls are recorded for possible use on the show. Okay, Tim, set a, set this up for us. I'm going to be reading this letter from your mother. Um, tell us how we got here. Well, as as I said earlier, you know, this has been you know ongoing, uh, especially in my adult life for quite some time, uh, and it's the 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 spaces between the the heated conflict sometimes go great distances and other times they ramp up to where they're coming at a pretty regular rate. This has been building. This most recent conflict has been building now for the last several months because of the fact that we didn't share some information with my mom that she felt we should have. And I have been intentionally avoiding the conversations because I I didn't want to have them and I didn't feel obligated to have them. And ultimately, a few weeks ago, I received a text message saying, hey, I've got something I really need to talk to you about. It needs to be face to face. Ah, the uh, we really need to talk, but I'm not going to tell you bait tactic. Well, yeah. And and it's kind of how I felt when when I received the text. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, she's older. And so I steeled myself for bad news. And. Because you know I love her, right? Well, let's let's I get specific. You you yeah, you were I expecting she was going to tell you that that she had a terminal illness or, or something like that. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I had steeled myself for that then for several several days and intentionally spaced it out for a time frame where I had time to process potentiality of that as well as also trying to schedule it for a evening where I knew she would have other things going on so that we would have a shorter window of time. And then you two, then you two had the conversation. And so then I did show up on the, uh, at the appointed time. And I, she's like, well, you want to sit down? And the very first thing I said was, how sick are you? How much time are they giving you? I need to know before I sit. And she says, it's not that at all. And that's where I knew at that in that moment, what you would have seen when you got the text, which is kind of what I saw as well, was this was a trap. Yeah, it was. And because what what did she to get me in the house? Yes. And and just very quickly, just a quick synopsis. What what was it that she actually wanted to talk about? It was a combination of financial fiduciary concerns as it related to her 
um, and benefits for my brother and I, as well as wanting to ask questions about how things were for my family financially, you know, whether or not we were getting our bills paid, you know, mortgage, things like that. And it was also, I believe, ultimately a way to start a conversation to ultimately get to start asking me questions about my son. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Having talked about that, I'll just quickly because say. Because I had made it clear that I didn't feel obligated nor feel a desire to talk to her about his situation and any of the causatives or ramifications of his childhood as it surrounded him. And quite frankly, he's an adult and it's his personal life and I don't feel like I should be talking about it. And so if anybody's hearing, well, what the hell's going on? Why is he not talking about it? Well, he has a private life and I don't feel like right. I need to air that with anybody. Yes. Now, Josh knows some of those things. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and and we talked after that. And and um, I, I came to the same conclusion that you did, that this was a trap, that what she really wanted was to um, not only pry into your personal family finances so she could find other ways to lure you in with promises she may or may not keep. But she also wanted to she feigned concern about your son as a means of opening up uh, a way that she could criticize your parenting. That's what I believe was her actual motivation. So after all this, this is the letter that Tim got. Um, I'm going to read a lot of it. Well, I'll, I'll just go and here. Josh, if, if I could, I yes. want to be clear. The night of that conversation, I wasn't a saint. Mm -hmm. I, there, I said some hard things. Mm -hmm. I, I flat out said some very difficult things. I didn't lose my temper, but I did say some pretty pointed, pretty hard things. And I have done that in the past. And I have been an ass yep. in the past. Sure. I, I, no argument for me. Not proud of it, but I have been pretty dismissive because I've gotten to the point numerous times where I've just like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. Yep. I'm I'm just done. Understood. And yep. So if anybody's questioning, like you had said <clears> earlier, <throat> well, you guys just sound like a couple of guys sitting around complaining about mom being mean. Okay, that sure, if you want to see it that way. But I'll admit I've screwed some things up. But when you hear this letter Yep. I'll, I'll dare anybody. <laughs> well, let's get to it. <clears throat> so, dear Tim. Our Thanksgiving get-together was very nice, and it was a special blessing to have Eddie join us. How gracious of Kate and Michael to host us all. All that being said, I still feel it necessary to follow up with you regarding last Wednesday evening. To be honest, I vacillated between sad and angry numerous times since then. I am not going to rehash the whole thing, but I have concluded that you are a very bitter and angry man. I can't change that, but I am no longer going to allow you to blame me for your life. It's not that I am faultless regarding your youthful years. I realize how awful you view them. And I have told you I am sorry for my part as your mother. There is nothing more I can do or say regarding that. It appears that you will never forgive me for my past failures, and that is your choice to make. 
It is unfortunate that you didn't address some of these failures with your father and me before he entered eternity. It seems somewhat unfair now that the failures all fall on me, but there's nothing I can do about that either. I do believe your father would be unhappy with how you talk to me. I don't recall that I raised my voice Wednesday, but I am fully aware that you didn't like some of the things I asked about or said, so I am sorry f- I am sorry for any of those things that were handled incorrectly. One thing that is difficult for me to hear as your mother is that you can't remember any good things I did as a parent, while, on the other hand, you don't seem to feel that you failed in any area as a parent. Almost all parents wish we could have some do-overs, but I have not heard you say that. I think you should be very thankful to me that you were able to learn from all of my past mistakes. As far as your younger years and the difficult times, I thought that by this time in our adult lives, you might have developed some empathy or compassion for what those years were like for others who lived through them. But obviously, you can only see how they affected you. That's unfortunate. Then she goes into a guilt trip where she uses a Bible passage from Leviticus that I'm going to skip over because it's too much bullshit even for me. Um, letter ends up here. Ah, no. You clearly do not want me to ask about your personal life or family. I will try my best to honor that. Um... What you and your wife do is indeed your business, in quotation marks. It is obvious that neither of you wish to let me into your lives, just as obvious as that neither of you wish to be in mind. Blah, 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 blah. Um, more, more guilt tripping about something that is not Tim's responsibility. Um, then there is some guilt tripping about um, some financial arrangements that Tim never asked to be a part of, doesn't want to be a part of, and that mom is um, taking offense at uh, because what mom? Well, I'll, I'll clarify on one of those. Yeah, hang one on. Hold, little... Hang on. Okay. Stay. Stay. Stay with stay. me for a second. I'm going to finish this part up. Um, you've chosen to close the door and walk out on our relationship. If you choose to renew it with me, an in-person apology will be important to me. I'd rather not enter eternity at some point with our relationship as it is, but that is up to you. Um, it, it goes on and on in this manner. And here, I want to say a few things about this. Um, first of all, as I told you, Tim, before we talked, this is very like dozens of letters I have read from borderline narcissist cluster B parents to their kids. It, it's very reminiscent of, of things that my mother has sent to me. Um, and I want to pull out a few pieces here. I, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm doing a lot of talking here. For those who are listening, Tim and I know each other. We have some history here. It's a little different when I'm doing most of my sessions Um Despite how confident I am in my opinions on the show, if you watch me on Disaffected, I do believe that it's important when when talking with people one on one like this, I like them to come to their own conclusions and I don't like to push them too hard. I will be honest with them, but I'm going to be a little bit more didactic here because I'm I'm using this as an illustration for you as listeners. And Tim knows how I feel about this anyway. So let me go to a couple of things here. I want to point out some tactics that mom used here. So let's go back to, um, I have concluded that you are a very angry and bitter man. The watchword for all of this is minimization and projection. Okay. This is a tactic that cluster bees use to minimize the justified pain or justified anger that their targets feel. 
you are a very bitter and angry man. This is a very bitter and angry woman, actually. And to the degree that Tim is bitter and angry, knowing his backstory, he has every reason to be. It appears to me that you will never forgive me for my past failures, and that is your choice to make. Now, actually, I'm going to jump ahead to another part because she comes back to this theme, as most of them do. One thing that is difficult for me to hear as your mother is that you can't remember any good things I did as a parent. You're never going to forgive me. You don't remember any good things. No, listeners, I want you to notice something. Throughout all of this, did you hear mom apologize to Tim once? Did she actually take any responsibility for any of the things that happened that traumatized him as a child? The answer is no, she didn't. They never do. She wants ego stroking from Tim. You never... You can't remember any good things I did as a parent. You'll never forgive me for the past. All parents wish we could have do-overs. And here's one I really want to point out to you. Quote, I think you should be very thankful to me that you were able to learn from all of my mistakes. Really? Her son should be thankful to her for going through the abuse because look at all the things it taught him. Except, of course, it wasn't abuse because she never abused him. You see this back and forth. I'm going to shut up for a second, Tim, and, and let you react to this a little bit. What do you think? You, uh, I don't want to say you missed anything. Um, if I missed something, say so. Yeah. Oh, you, you didn't. Uh, you you mes- mentioned that passage from the, or the, the paragraph with a reference to the Bible. Um, I, I want to point out that one of the lines there was, I will never again permit you to come to my home invited or on your own and bring up my past sinful behaviors. Um, I have never, ever gone, invited or uninvited, home, her home, Mm -hmm. to bring up anything like that. I have never had that as an intention. And what that line implies is that I'm constantly seeking the conflict. Yes. And that more than anything really set me off because it's followed up with, it's time for you to find a new scapegoat. If you need one, that is no longer my role. Um, Ooh, yeah, that is provocative. Uh, because it, you know, I, I know it's obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. Tim, you are the scapegoat. You are her scapegoat, not the other way around. This is all projection, reversal and projection. You know, and, and the thing that, you know, Josh, the thing that, you know, I'm getting emotional. It's okay. I. Real men cry. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Uh, um, I, I look at that. And I, I'm like, I want to emphasize to her. I don't, I don't, I don't want to rehash this. Right. I, I literally, I don't want to blame anybody for where my life is right now. And for anybody who, you know, who, who might be hearing this, and I know that this is a, a session with you and I, Josh, but I know why we're recording it. For you, if you're listening to this, I just ended. A career 
that has meant a lot to me. And the implication from her and even others have been, you brought that on yourself. And sure that, you know, Josh, you're kind of going through the same thing. Um, sure. Maybe I, to some degree, there's, there's something there, but I've never once looked back in the past of my life and said, I just had to end that career because I had a crappy childhood. Right. And that's what she's saying right here mm -hmm. is that I'm blaming her for all of the things that have failed in my life. And I don't get to blame her for that anymore. And I've never done that. And I, I believe you. I've uh, talked to you enough. Never. I've, I, never. I, I know you haven't. <laughs> Probably way far afield from what we were supposed to be talking about. But this is like I've never blamed her for things ever. I've never once said where I screwed up as a dad is your fault because you didn't teach me how to parent right. Right. Dad didn't teach me how to be a good dad. In fact, I've gone so far as to say that my work ethic is a direct result of how I was raised. I've told them that. Yep. Yeah. It, it, and it, even, it, yep. even that night, that night, I'm like, like, you don't have any good memories of your childhood. Very few. I have some vacations that we took together were, were good memories. I remember loving my mom so much as a kid mm -hmm. that when she would leave to go to work in the morning, I would watch her leave and wave to her until she was out of sight. Yep. Because even in those moments, even in middle school, in junior high, I craved her love. Of course. And I wanted her to know that I loved her. I craved it. That's the tragedy. That's the tragedy for um, kids like you and me. I loved my mother very, very much in the same way when I was a boy. I was very attached to her. I felt very responsible for her. I cared about her happiness. I really did love her. And I know you loved your mother that way, too. It is, it's just not true that we didn't. Kids like us, and, and like a lot of people who are listening to this right now, we lavished so much love we tried to love our parents so much for so long there is only so long you can do that until you break when the love is not returned when the love is not even recognized because this is where you end up you end up with a letter like this some of you have received a letter like tim has received you end up with this shit that's the result of your of your lifetime emotional investment in a cluster B parent, sadly, and it is not your fault. It's not Tim's fault. It isn't my fault. It's not anybody's fault. So this brings us, this brings us to Tim. It brings you to a decision point, and you may or may not make that decision today. You may or may not have anything to say about it as we come to the end of the show, but. The reason you and I have been talking in the first place before I even asked you, and, and I thank you for, for being willing to record this with me, this is going to help people. It, it really is. But I, you know, I've known that the decision point you're coming to is, do I finally go no 
contact with my mother? Or do I, do I try to hold her at, at, at a boundary? Will it work if I try to hold her at arm's length? I'm not going to ask you to make a commitment, Tim, but I am going to ask you to react to that as we wrap the show up. What are you thinking? You know, I'm torn because of the, di- the, the family dynamics that are at play. I, I want my children to have a relationship with their, their grandmother because she is older. Okay, wait. I, I'm gonna. Okay, I'm gonna pull rank here. I'm sorry, but I'm pulling rank. Stop right there. Now. I knew you were gonna do that. Okay. You just said I want my children to have a relationship with their grandmother because she's older. I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. Do you want your children to have a relationship with this woman? Do you want your children to be treated the way this woman is treating you? I, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that for them. I okay. Would hope. I would hope that they would, because I don't see that we. I mean, everybody has a relationship, right? You know, uh, to to throw some Christianese in it. I one of my one of my favorite statements from people is every. You know, I you just have to have a relationship with Jesus. I know you've heard that, Josh, because yeah. you've talked to enough, enough mm-hmm. of us weird Christians. Um, but I always say. Look, everybody has a relationship with Jesus. Some of us have a good one with him and others have a bad one. Mm-hmm. And and so that's okay. the reality of my relationship with my mother. Like, yeah, I have a relationship with her. It's just not the net positive. Right. Okay, I'm going to stop I'm going to stop you again and I'm sorry. I know it's coming off as a little bit terse, but there's a there's a pedagogical reason for this. Tim, you need to hear this, but everybody who's listening needs to hear this too. There's a second part to that statement. I want my children to have a relationship with my mother because she's getting older. Do you see what's wrong with that? I'm, How is this about I, your children? How is it about I, your children's I, needs? And this is this is an example, and I told you about this last week. Um, this is a resam- an example of um, an abbreviation called FOG, fear, obligation, and guilt. Most of us children who come from parents like this make decisions out of fear, obligation, and guilt, even when we think we're making decisions out of, out of love or out of something else. The, and this... This is a criticism, but you 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 know I like and respect you. So, and I know you can take it. I want yeah, I want you okay. to take me because I'm never gonna. The first stop thing, this. the first thing that should have come to your mind was your son's needs, not your mother's needs. But it was your mother's needs that came out of your mouth. You said, "I want my children to have a relationship with her because she's older." Fuck that, yeah. dude. <laughs> right? How do you really feel, Josh? That's how I really feel. But no, I'm not I'm not doing this I'm not doing this at all to be mean or caustic. I'm doing it because it's an automatic reflex almost everybody does it. But what you just did there I caught it as soon as you pointed as yeah, soon as you asked. I exactly. And you're going to catch it earlier next time, right? This is what I have to say to everybody who has children here. Okay? The next time you say to yourself, "Should I let my children have a relationship with my cluster B father?" I want you to remind yourself what you think of your cluster B father and what he did to you, and then ask yourself if you think you sound sane when you suggest putting your children in their care. Yeah, I want you to be that bracing with yourself cuz you need to. Cuz you know what? It's not 
it's not sane. <laughs> and I've made many insane say, decisions Josh too. And I know, Josh and I know what insane looks like. Yeah, that's 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 not good. What's happening there? What's happening there is that you, the adult child, you are still acting as an emotional slave for your abuser. And although you don't mean it and although you are not an abuser and you do love your child, your programming is so strong that it didn't even occur to you that, hey, I shouldn't see this as a benefit for my child. I should see it as a danger to keep them from. Right. I want to say something to what you just said. Okay. Yeah. I'll let you have the last word before we wrap up. I, I'm sure that I have done abusive things. Mm-hmm. I'm absolutely sure I have. Um, I have to. I wouldn't. I would never blame my children. Of course not. And I know I've failed. In in that statement in that letter of, you won't take the time, you know, and how did it read, you know. You probably have it pulled up, but basically the implication is, is that I'm, it's okay for me to question how she parented, but it's not, I've never questioned how I've parented. And I'm going to, this, this will give it away. If they, if any of the family members ever listen, the day that my 18 year old daughter moved out of my house, which she was perfectly entitled to do at 18, but was entering into a part of life that I wasn't prepared for her to enter into, and she was doing it against our council. Instead of offering comfort over the emotional struggle that I was going through, I was told, you brought this on yourself for how you raised her. Man. Who does that? Cluster bees. And then when you ask, (laughs) there's Josh with a livity. Lightening it up a little. Um, No, it's... Then think about the reality that I'm not allowed to question... Her parenting style, but she can critique mine. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, my kids have let me know where I screwed up. Sometimes fairly, sometimes not. But never blame them for how I parented. Yeah. And and that's what hit the hardest, and. And still, and Josh, you know this, after walking away from the letter going, having these moments of doubt of, maybe she's right. I know. Maybe this is all my fault. Maybe my relationship with her is all my fault. Maybe everything that happened when I was a child was all my fault. Maybe, you know, I remember being five or six years old and being so stressed out about interactions that I, I wanted to die. Five, six, seven years old. I know. Putting a belt around my neck. Trying to choke myself out because I didn't want to live like that anymore. And that, that by itself, tells, tells a person everything they need to know about what, what was going on in your home. It is not normal 
for children to be suicidal. It's not normal for children that age to be clinically depressed. But among our population, our subset, those raised by parents like ours, I hear those stories all the time, all the time. All right, we, we're coming up to the end here. Um, and Tim, you and I know each other, so you know that you can find me when you need me. Um, so listeners, I'm, I'm not just sort of uh, cutting him off to go off into the wilderness. We'll be talking with each other again, but we do have to wrap this show up. I want to say thank you for allowing people this glimpse into your life and, and for being willing to share some personally painful stuff. Um, I know that it's not easy for people, especially if they're not used to doing it, but I can tell you that it will be helpful. Um, and I, and I, I think the listeners are going to, are going to feel that way too. Um, you and I will talk again. And for those of you who are listening, if this is the kind of conversation that you think could be helpful to you, may not be about your parents, might be about a boss, might be about a boyfriend or a girlfriend, um, this is the kind of thing that you can expect if you um, if you book a, if you book a session. And if you're interested in this, you want to think about it. You can find me at joshuaslocum.net. Um, got some information on there. The calendar of available sessions is up, and it'll be expanding after the turn of the year when I finally uh, ease out of my longtime job here and move into working for myself full time. I'll have a lot more on there. Um, but I want to thank everybody for joining us and Tim just thank you very much for being this open with us. I, I hope that other people will hear and realize that it's, there is a place for self-reflection, obviously, but when you're wrestling with this, like, why do I feel like garbage in this situation all the time? You've got to find somebody to talk to. Yes. And, and I know Josh will say this. For some of you, it might mean a therapist. It might mean a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But you've got to find somebody. And if you can't find that person, um, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to cope. Because at, at my age, in my fifties, nothing makes me feel more unprepared for life still and trying to deal with all of this yeah but you know what i'm going to end it positively for you you've made a lot more progress than it might feel to you right now i have seen a lot of this i've been where you are i've been far worse off than where you are right now you are coming out of it um you're not failing and you're going to come to a decision that works for you tim thanks again for joining us everybody josh this has been Disaffected. Talk to you again soon. Well, hello, listener. It's Mommy again. You're quite welcome for the fine programming. Why don't you show some gratitude? Send Mommy some money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disaffected, or subscribestar.com slash disaffected. You wouldn't want Mommy to starve, would you? And if you don't love your dear mother, you're not invited to find us on YouTube, Rumble, or Odyssey for our hottest weekly content. I guess this is goodbye forever. Forever.